this conversation between pre-surface and in-surface teachers and teacher educators about research and practice. In episode six, I was joined by two pre-service teachers, one teacher and two university teachers to discuss Cruikshank, Heidman, Patterson and Keeble's 2001 paper, The Experiential Challenges Faced by Tasmanian Health and Physical Education Teachers, from the Australian Journal of Education. It begins with an around-the-table discussion. Over to you, Cameron. Okay, so this week I had, or the last few weeks, I've had some experiences that begin to bridge these gaps really between the different departments in PE, uh, different departments in school and PE and it's only really come about because we've been working from home um, and trying to think of different things to send home. So I've come up with like sort of writing tasks this week. I've sent home something that's a bit more maths based but I've got to do a few calculations before um, they get into their activities and also last week just speaking to my person, uh, visiting tutor about different ways I can improve that and one of the things that came up um, which is something I'll look to do now is to actually reach out to the head of the department and actually find what English you're doing at that moment in time and put that into my practice to send home so all that's linked so that it's it's con continuity so it all links in for the, for the students with what they're doing in English and what they're doing in PE and hopefully see the volume in both and that way we can get there as well as myself building relationships with people in other departments it also gives gives the pupils opportunity to practice their English if they're not much of a fan of doing English but do, do like PE they can practice they can try that they can do their English through a different lens which they might enjoy a bit more Yeah, I um, when I read the blog, I the first thing that I thought about was um, teacher burnout. That's what I thought of when I read it and reading about, you know, the marginalization of PE teachers is how that can directly lead um, to teacher burnout, which is a really is a, a mounting problem in America, um, not just with PE teachers, but with just teacher like especially secondary school teachers. Um, but PE teachers specifically, um, I thought of that. And then, you know, the blog was talking about how um, there's the difference between uh, marginalization of PE teachers and secondary school versus primary school. Um, and that made me think of different uh, teaching models and like the efficacy of those, like, um, you know, with like a skill themes model or multi-sport model, um, how do those really help a secondary school program when sports are not the focus of people after they graduate from high school? Like people aren't like to, to be to be active, people are not engaging in team sports after graduating, you know, and kind of thinking of like more like outdoor centered, like outdoor recreation, fitness centered, like secondary school curriculum and stuff like that those were the the two um main things that i kind of went to when i was uh, reading the blog <clears throat> um awesome um for me um from reading the blog i sort of like took away that creating that sense of community within school um often from the different schools that i've been in 
it seems as though the head teacher's um, driving, um, driving value of PE sort of like trickles down to the other departments and the, the school in general. So from the school that I've been in where the head teachers quite valued PE and saw that it's really important. So for example, I was in one of the school and that school, for example, during exam time, they never lost the sports hall, for example. Now that was a big thing for PE, obviously, because then it means curriculum continues as normal. So for me personally, I felt like the SLT and the leadership team makes such a difference when it does come to um, PE and how valued it is by the school community because essentially that's what the all the different teachers will take on what their values are and if they value it a lot then that's reflected in the school so it's been interesting to compare and contrast between the different schools where that's just one example that I've been in schools where P is not valued at all. Like whenever it came to exams, we always lost the space and it was seen a bit of like a, a Cinderella subject where it's like on the back burner. Thanks for everyone. Uh, yeah, I found the blog and the article to be uh interesting and again kind of capturing many of the uh, topics that we've discussed over the last month or two on the podcast when it comes to some of the marginalization of um, PE and the subject itself. It, it, the one thing that uh, I thought I found very interesting was the difference between the isolation at the elementary level, kind of what Greg referred to, and then as PE progresses or sends it changes and it changes from multiple contexts. It changes from the perspective of the, the physical educator, but it also changes from the perspective of the student and the program itself. I think uh, in, in North America and, and, and probably uh, from what I understand, many places around the world, elementary PE is not the problem. It's perhaps secondary PE uh, that we see problems when it comes from a student motivation and those types of things from, from our students. So that's an interesting comparison. Yet um, the isolation factor uh, that from, a, from a teacher standpoint and, and getting back to Greg's point about burnout is also fascinating with the socialization context as well. So my, my question that I, I guess have to think about is why are physical educators at various levels asked to do professional development and in many times they're their professional development is included or they're thrown uh, into uh, classroom experiences with other disciplinary specialists to do professional development that's not relevant at all, knowing that we have some of these issues that, in this case, uh, Ash spoke about in the blog and, and the author spoke about in the journal, that we have the this isolation factor and we can help uh, with PE teachers at the elementary level, particularly with this isolation, but by providing meaningful professional development, uh, and it's no wonder that you know again some of the uh, some of the uh, topics we discussed over the last month or so. No wonder that social media and Twitter, from a professional development context, has exploded in the PE discipline itself. So those are my first takes right now.
Yeah, see, I I kind of looked at it from a different, quite a few different angles, and I think the first one was the whole the whole idea of group habitus and PE teachers. So group habitus, habitus being an idea of Bourdieu, where it's your blindly actioning functions of self control. So it's the things we do without even thinking. It's what makes us belong, or how our practices make us belong to a certain group in a certain field. In this situation, education and physical education as a group of people. And I wonder that in terms of the way that we deliver PE, even between sort of like the intergenerational links, you are either a PE person or you're not a PE person in school. So effectively, how many of these subject teachers in school are not PE people and why are they not PE people? You know, and then it comes back to this idea of, um, like Greg was talking about sport. Well, they come out of school and then they don't play sport. Well, if our curriculum is mostly made up of sport per se, and you are not a sporty person and you associate sport with physical activity, you are then, and you didn't like it, well, then you're not gonna go and do necessarily going to go and be physically active or value it so actually when you've got all these other teachers these other subjects that are coming in if at some point they've disconnected from PE or they didn't have a great experience in school and they're not part of that clique is it that PE teachers to a degree have almost marginalized themselves a little bit because they've got this whole sort of, you know, you're either in this group or you're not. Now, I'm not saying that happens in every school, it doesn't, but I've certainly see it happen. And it's almost like, oh yeah, PE people, you know, they're over there, they've got their own little spot in the staff room. Whereas I've gone in and I've worked in other schools where it's been completely different and everybody's in with everybody else. And a lot of that is when you don't have your own departmental area, everyone works in together. And actually by just, you know, when you sort of think about the geographical isolation, by not having a department area, so everybody has to come and work in the same area, that actually opens conversations and stops departments for, in secondary school in particular shutting off from each other. So I think there's almost this multi dimensional approach which Cam was talking about in terms of extracurricular links you know what a lovely idea with that that um, you know I'm actually going to have to go and speak to the head of English to find out what they're doing so that I can make sure that I'm doing that in PE you know that goes over both ways the same with biology maybe and you know anatomy and physiology can we use that a little bit more as a tool particularly since academia um, since like physical education has become more of an academic subject is it well not more of an academic subject but more the perception of it isn't just jumping around a field it's actually a lot more than that so i think it's breaking down those barriers as well okay thanks everyone um really interesting and as always i have lots of notes um i think one of the one of the things that hit me is um i got a response from uh, andy andy milne who is a english p teacher in the us and and he said he said, ironically, is it, he said, I think his reply was, is it ironic that I read this blog from the my windowless basement classroom in my elementary school? Um, and that kind of talks an awful lot about spaces. Um, and spaces are really, really important. Uh, and to me, one of the one of the things that's very obvious is that PE is often on the periphery of the school. So Michelle's idea of having no workspace it's great if you can navigate the school quickly enough to to get to those places to have those conversations. But often maths and English are central sciences in its own block. And and, and then we move out onto the periphery. Um, and you know, I remember the school I used to work in had um, 
a, had a swimming pool that was built by the staff and students in the First World War and a gymnasium basically the size of a, of a badminton court. Uh, and I worked there for 13 years and that was my indoor space. Um, and when they built a new sports hall, it was on the edge of the school. So it took an extra, you know, three or four minutes to get to to the middle. And that was only a school of 600 pupils. So when you've got 2000, that, that so spaces become did become difficult. Um, but and I think I missed a trick because look, looking at CAM's processes of building relationships with other departments. Um, and, you know, people have talked about starting new jobs and not actually getting into school. And we've got student teachers who've been in there and had to move away is that actually relationship building is even more important for everybody now. So it's how do we facilitate those processes in a, in a pandemic? And being on your own is, is, is a, and Greg hinted to this, but being on your own is a, is a debilitating thing sometimes. And, and, you know, you have to be invited in. Some of that, as Ray suggested, is to do with the environment and the head teacher and the way that that sport, you know, sport is valued, sport physical education is valued. Sorry, within the school, um, but it's also a case of how PE makes a community, um, and I think that um, I can't remember who wrote it, but some somebody talked talk, talk, talked about we invite the best students into the inner sanctum of the PE department, yeah. so they spend their time there, they go to that space. But how many people does that then ostracize when we always pick the best kids to do this and we always pick the most able, not a great term mind, the highest achieving students to be the referees and the umpires and, and to, you know, to be part of the things. Well, who do we sort of dis, dis, dislocate from physical education itself, who then go on to become te te teachers themselves in other sus other sub sus sus subjects and don't put much, um, much stock in um in physical education. Um, and it's interesting, um, Clancy spoke about uh, elementary and primary P not being the problem. David Kirk suggested that it is the problem, i.e. it's the problem because we don't put anywhere near enough resource into it. We don't spend enough time dealing with it. And this piece kind of speaks to that isolation that a part-time member of staff might be the only phys ed teacher in the school. and. In, in 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 the UK, those people, if that is the case, are often teaching when other people are on their break themselves, and therefore they don't get involved in those processes. Um, on another note, we talked about professional development between different departments. I don't know about you lot, but I, I wrote a paper about professional development. Um, I'm sure you haven't written a paper about professional development. I don't know why I said, so I said that. Um, my last three bits of professional development as a as a teacher were um, a first aid course, which took three days, so I could make sure the kids didn't get injured, um, or if they did, I could deal with them. It was a it was a mini bus driving my driving license to drive the school min mini bus, so I could get them to fixtures, um, and I think it was a pool lifeguard course, so I could make sure nobody drowned. So none of my professional development was pedagogical. Um, and that comes back to this process of we're, we, we, we're learning about things outside of our subject and we're not necessarily learning about the pedagogies of our subject and how that works. So when's the last time we did those sorts of professional development processes? Um, so I guess I've talked around the houses there a little bit, but um, that was kind of a, a reply. So based upon the five other people who've talked around you, any any further thoughts on on the notion, Ray? Sorry, I was just going to say on that um, 
the CPD's um, element that you've just mentioned, there seems to be a, a, a change in direction um, from the schools that I've been at, I've been in often um, how they've sort of like broken it down is different departments going together. And I was very, very impressed by my last school in that they made a specific PE um, pedagogy training for, and it was sort of like suited and made um, almost like exclusive to different individuals based on what their weaknesses were um, from a questionnaire that we'd done previously. So I was really, really impressed by that. But I do understand where you're coming from in terms of um, not having that pedagogical sort of like um, training or professional development that continues. So I've seen a shift in that in my four, I know I've only taught for four years. I've definitely, definitely seen a shift in terms of what CPD is offered. Yeah, I mean, I can build on that as well, sort of from but based on my experience last year when I was back in school, there was nothing really for physical education. So unless, like Ash was talking about, unless it was related to safety. So even then, because the budget was, was so, so tight, it wasn't a priority. So they allowed one member of staff to go and do a trampoline teacher's course. That was it. Um, because you then you could only have it on on the days that that particular member of staff was in um, was in school. So then only certain students were able then to be able to do that. It wasn't me. It was another member of staff. But essentially, there wasn't even then there was nothing again pedagogical. However, when you look out and you look to do stuff yourself and then you ask school for funding for that, there's no money. So I think there has to be, um, you know, an allocation of resources or we need to start. That's why I came onto Twitter at one point, because there was actually more available on Twitter than there was actually within sort of the more conventional way of looking for CPD and teaching. And a lot of it now is around the next sort of best thing. So the next big thing that was coming out of our school was um, cognitive psychology and retrieval practice and how to ensure that children retained information. So again, that wasn't really related to pedagogies around teaching physical education. So it's not necessarily subject specific. You just have to kind of pick up what you can and then run with it. So yeah, I think that there are, I think there's so many, the budgets are so tight. And again, in terms of coming back to isolation, um, in my last school, I was teaching um, eight subjects at key stage three and four because they were so short staffed. Um, so in terms of isolation, I really wasn't that isolated because I was literally working with everyone. So although our school is a secondary, it was a secondary school with um, about a thousand students. Um, in terms of space, um, my step count certainly went up because I was expected to be everywhere all of the time. And that seems to be more commonplace than it was when I came out of teaching um, before I went into HE, um, you know, sort of 2010, um, 2008, between 2008, 2010. So I wonder whether that there's a shift there as well um, in the UK anyway. Thanks, Michelle. I, I'm glad that Ash, uh, you know, uh, discussed um, the elementary conundrum and, and mentioning uh, Dr. Kirk and what I was referring to by, uh, by the problem itself is more that um, we seem to have a good understanding of what elementary physical education from a curricular context should look like successes and failures in a safe learning environment for children to succeed. Um, so I, what I was referring to by 
not the problem is more so from a curricular context and the fact that students really enjoy elementary physical education and, and the PE teachers are revered uh, by the students at that level. But then as things change and as students ascend, things change. And I think that that lends nicely to what Ash referred to in the in the blog where he, 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 he paints a picture of the utopian uh, US high school with home of the Panthers. And when we think of that, when we see that spirit, uh, that, that, that uh, belonging, that accountability to the school, we see that from an athletics standpoint, a school sport standpoint, I believe it's referred to in the UK. Um, it's not referred to from the PEs, from PE's perspective, from a programmatic perspective. So um, while I and so while I agree with Ash completely that structurally we have certainly problems systemically with elementary PE, sometimes part-time teachers and not enough time, those types of things. What I was referring to is more a curriculum standpoint. I think we have that right. When we get to middle and secondary school, things start to go awry. We have student motivation problems. We have the roll out the ball syndrome. We have those types of things that we have to consider. The reluctance to to embrace models, curricular models or pedagogical models, and instead the more multi-activity approach. So those are the things that we're dealing with as students ascend and it affects, uh, and as a result it affects it. And then back to what Ash refers to the, again, the home of the, the Panthers. That is referring to school sport. That's referring to athletics. There's no belonging. There's no ownership to PE itself when we think about it. And it not it funny that the PE teachers at the elementary level, while challenged in a lot of ways, as Ash mentioned, um, they're revered by their students, okay? In some cases, even by their fellow teachers. While isolated, yes, they're revered, okay? But as we move up, students don't think much of PE anymore, and that school spirit belonging is not attributed to PE, it's attributed to school sport and athletics. On top of that, the coaches gain more notoriety in the school itself, in the school system itself. The coaches, not the PE teachers. I find that interesting in this discussion. But that comes down, but that comes back to, um, you know, that's a small minority of students that are involved with that. You know, it's sure. the ones with effort, enthusiasm, co enthusiasm, competence. They've already got that part. They're already part of that group habitus that I talked about earlier, which, Ash, you know, Ash was talking, you know, you've got the inner sanctum being the PE department. Um, those those ones are already in there, but it's the vast amount of, you know, marginalised individuals where it almost perpetuates that margin that marginalization later on so when those when that individual that was you know part of that sport they were part they had that sense of belonging and everything else and they go on that same person will go on to become a PE teacher they're still very um you know they're still sort of very much part of their own group so do PE teachers actually need to do more to actually break those barriers um, so that they can feel less isolated, but in return, by changing, by making a shift, uh, you know, making curricular change and making what we deliver different so that more people are um, becoming, say, you know, using the argumentative term, you know, using that term sort of physical literacy, so they are valuing that and feeling motivated for a physically active life, PE is essentially not sport. 
So, you know, we teach it through sport, definitely. There's no question there. But the two are different entities. So we've got to kind of almost make that break so that PE actually has its place and does become the centre of the community where everyone feels included rather than having that exclusive um, sort of environment for those for those fortunate, you know, the so-called fortunate few. I don't know what you feel about that, but, you know, that just seems that I wonder whether PE itself actually isolates itself um, and this these are the repercussions of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. I'm going to talk really quickly because I want to invite Greg and Cam to come in on this one. Um, I think what you say, Kansi, there is really important. And I think we need to, I've written here where there is a danger of seeing similarities and not differences. So when I make a statement about primary, I'm actually talking about the UK because we don't invest. We don't have elementary primary school phys ed teachers or middle school, well, middle school we do. So that's a cultural difference. So we've got to be very careful of not looking at just at similarities, but we also need to acknowledge the differences. So, so yeah, I'm just going to stop it there and I'm going to invite um, Greg or Cam to come in now. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, um, you know, talking about what um, Michelle was speaking on is that, you know, social capital is given to those students who are good at sports and the difference between PE versus math or science or English, we don't have the you're wrong dynamic necessarily. Student raises their hand to answer a question, you're wrong on that one, right? But playing a sport where the upper half is dominant and the lower half is not, that is our version of saying you are wrong in this setting. So I think that the, the problem talking about curriculum is that the curriculum is not changing with the students, right? The blog talks about all the changes that students are going through, whether it be puberty, social changes, all these different things. The curriculum is not changing with them. We're doing the same thing from, it feels like pre-K all the way through 12th grade. And um, the blog mentions this about how the students who are most affected by this are those marginalized populations. The blog talks about girls, but girls, um, gay students, obese students, they all have that kind of burden that is kind of put on them in PE all the same. And I, I think it's important to add there as well that my my perspective, I think it, a lot of it comes down to bodies and it's especially with boys, it's who develops first, who, who who's the biggest lad in the changing room and a lot of it stems from that and then those those boys then go on to, to be the teachers in the end. You might argue they're the teachers in the changing room at the same time. But then so reading the blog, it was saying those boys push the girls away, but they also push a lot of the lads away and, ju and just make that make that gap a whole lot bigger through something that can't really be con controlled. So how can we how can we create a curriculum that combats combats bodies which can't really be controlled? to include everybody at the same time and make everybody feel valued while still keeping that sporting environment. Okay, so here's a challenge to everyone to think about as we, we move towards the kind of the end is what changes do we need to make as physical education practitioners ourselves to kind of get over isolation and marginalisation in different ways? So, you know, this is a challenge. What's the one thing that you would do um, to do that and with different ranges of experience here. I mean, I've now taught for 25 years 
what I do is it the same or di- 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 different to what Ray would do who's been teaching for four years and it's not only four years Ray so <laughs> but Ray who's been teaching for four years and, and Greg and Cam who are, are embarking on this ju- 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 this journey so yeah so that's the question to all of you and Ray, since I picked you out, I'll, you can you can lead this one off. What what's the things that we can do in your experiences that would make that process less challenging for individuals? I think we need to move away from this ideology of PE is just something that kids have where they just need to like relax and not think. It is a subject. It is part of the curriculum. So it needs to have the same value as maths and science. And this is the battle that we're always, always, always going to have because in the eyes of the system and in the eyes of society, if you've got an A star in PE, for example, an A star in English or science or maths, those three subjects will always, always outweigh the PE A star. So that's the the one thing that I want to try and change and try and look into changing. And I know it's not a one-man band. It's going to take more than myself to change. But, yeah, essentially that's what I I would hope in 10, 15, 20 years' time, an A-star in PE is just as valued as an A-star in maths or English. Just to clarify for, for Greg and Clancy, an A star is we have a situation in in uh, UK where we have a um, we have a, we we decided that A wasn't good, good good enough, so now you can get an A star as well. So it's it's instead of having you know A B C D, now you have A star. And in fact, at GCSE officially, you have A star star, A star, an A, a B, and a C. So it's kind of a for anyone who's international listening, it, it's just, and that's only in examination classes. So, and again, in the US, you don't have examination classes and physical education. Ray, go. Oh, I was going to say, oh, if you want to mix it up, it's now it's a level nine, isn't it? An A star. So they've changed it to numbers. So, yeah, I don't know whose idea that was, but. That's what it is now. Yeah, I think building, just very quickly building on that, um, in the examinations as well, for what you're, and it all kind of, I didn't even really realise this until they did the grading this year and the CAG grades um, due to COVID. So basically that centre assessed grades. So they have so many, because um, Gavin Williamson, the um, education secretary, had an algorithm. So schools were using an algorithm, but also within that algorithm in terms of what grades your students could get. So basically how many nines you could get depending on where your school is, how many eights and so on, depending on previous performance of that school as well. But actually you've got buckets. So bucket one, if you've got lots of great grades in maths, English and science, for example, then um, your school is seen as better. So effectively they're they to make sure these grades look balanced they were creaming off the grades from the other subjects like PE history um, sociology and they were putting them so they could have a heavier weighting for better grades in their maths English and science so there is this showing I mean I don't know whether that's the same for every year but ultimately there's only so many grades within that sort of you know to how it goes to what am I trying to say so how many grades you can have but there's priority subjects that can 
that need to do do well and do better and out of the back of that um there's maths english and science needed to be stronger so you yeah, know and that's that, one of the challenges around the, the value of of um of different sorts of subjects and if we if we get back to the value of pe in terms of, of that it, it is i don't know about the us i'll turn to greg or or, or well, i'll turn to greg actually you know how much more is pe or how much less is p valued in the curriculum or the school to maths english and science well, I, I was I was about to jump in to say just that um, that it is it is very undervalued. And what I was going to say about what Ray was talking about is it's that long term battle of how do we get schools to value PE more? Because right now, if there are budget cuts, what have you, the first thing to go is PE. The second one is music, right? And I think that part of it is what we were talking about. Uh, a podcast ago about saying, yeah, I am a PE teacher and, and having that kind of small um, bit. I think that um, another part of it is um, advocating for ourselves. And um, I th and, and kind of a side note is I think that it is it is one of the greatest shames of America that there are teachers in this country who have to have second jobs and moonlight as Uber drivers. I mean, it's just a crying shame. Um, and that goes to value in education more than just PE. But um, I think that valuing PE, because really, I mean, in a world where, where everybody is in their house all the time, how important is the knowledge that we teach in PE? I mean, it is it is of such supreme importance. And the last thing I, I would say about this is, you know, PE is special because it is the only subject taught in primary or secondary school where you use the knowledge of that subject from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. I mean, things that we teach are, are lessons for how to live. It, you know, it's not just about it's about how to live a healthy life. So, yeah, I, th thanks, Greg. I you know, there's a lot to think about, and Ash's question is a wonderful one. And from from a short-term perspective, what do we do? Well, you know, Michelle pointed out, and and Greg just now as well, and Ray that you know we we face a lot of obstacles, uh, Cam included. We, you know, budget cuts and limited limited resources. So you know, I don't know from a short-term context what we can do. Uh, but I'm, I'm reminded of the conversation that Michelle and I had last week where we have to come up with unique ways to facilitate growth in, in, in physical education, whether it's through partnerships, uh, you know, through your local um, universities and colleges, looking for new ways to, again, nurture professional development to, uh, to uh, again, ad address that isolation piece. Um, it's funny when when Ash posed the question uh, to all of us just now, you know, I was thinking about what could we do? And I, I thought to myself, you know, I thought to myself assessment and funny how the the conversation really dove into assessment. And I think there's something to that. Uh, and, you know, it's speaking from a U.S. and perhaps North American context. You know, as Greg alluded to, you know, we are undervalued in physical education, um, you know, in the U.S., for example. Assessment is not a strong point of the program. So what are the answers? Maybe assessment, because we all know that in order for a child to grow, there must be learning, there must be instruction, there must be engagement, but there also must be assessment. 
successes and failures in a safe learning environment. I've said it earlier today. The only way the child can, can grow is by failing, by falling down and getting back up. And it's our job to provide a successful learning environment to do so. So how does that apply to this conversation? Well, if we can, instead of always trailing behind, but move ahead of the curve when it comes to, for example, assessment, can we provide meaningful assessment experiences within a learning unit, within a PE program that can, again, facilitate growth for the child at any level? We not only help that child, but we now start to show some of the wonderful learning experiences that we provide in physical education. We're not just physical activity. We are learning. We, we, we are an academic subject, as Michelle pointed out, for various reasons. It doesn't mean that we're, uh, we're the soil. No, we're, we're, or we're the water. We're our own thing. You know, to allow the plant to grow, we're our own thing. But we're needed for the plant to grow, just like the water and the soil is needed for the plant to grow. So those are some of the things that I think we can think about from how do we provide assessment uh, and a learning experience um, that we can document and show people that don't know a lot about our discipline. And then back to Michelle's point, so that when we get to a, a school in, in the US context, as Ash pointed out, five and 10 and 15 years from now, when it says home of the Panthers, it's not referring to school sport anymore. It's referring to school sport, perhaps, for those that it applies, but also physical education for, for those, you know, and the people and the many different people and children within. Thanks, Clancy. So final thoughts, Cam, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, so final thoughts, thoughts mean it. I always seem to come around to this when we, when we have a chat on the blog to like the importance of like models best practice and moving away from the classic PE. <laughs> and then it's because it's not all about the performance. It's it's what can we get from those those real life scenarios of having to work in a team, but then also we're quite a visible subject. So how can we make that not purposely visible, but but do it when we're sort of outside and maybe other people will see that in the in the school and think, oh, it's it comes back back around to that issue of legitimizing PE. And just realise, oh, it's not it's not just going out kicking a ball, they're not just playing football today. They're they're actually sitting around having a maybe not sitting around, but having a discussion, solving a problem, like we do in, in maths, in science, etc. I'm just aware of time. I'm, I'm going to kind of just to bring this to a close. I mean, I think as long as the P department celebrates sporting achievement, then we're going to be known as sporting places to be. So when you go into a, I don't know if it happens in the US, but it certainly happens in the UK, you walk into a P department and they've got um, an international vest of someone who ran in the athletics team or um, six members of staff go away with 40 athletes to take them to the area athletics and they leave 400 students behind to sit with a um, in a classroom and, and 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 read a book and and you know while we sell when we only celebrate sporting success uh, and that defines what actually what PE means then you know when we're not celebrating other sorts of successes um, and I, it must be <sighs> I remember applying for a job when I was, uh, uh, well, Cameron's career stage. 
and I, I got an interview and I went around the school and and the guy who had the job before me had been there for 40 years and he he was a legend and 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 I thought I I don't want this job because there, there is no way you will ever be a success because things are going to change and and but we have to go through that change I guess so if you want to if we want to celebrate physical movement and we want to celebrate physical education then we need to celebrate learning in the subject and and not just not just sporting success so go panthers can't just mean that you they won the you know the local football league it has to mean that they have the maximum participation of any school in the area and and lots of people engage so you know we need to change what it means to to be physical education departments and physical education teachers and physical education pra practitioners. Michelle, I'd love to give you another chance, but I have a rule here that we have to finish by six um, because that's when IMIT is ready. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> no, I was only going to say we've got a love of working with children and we're really like we value ourselves on having good interpersonal skills. So just to round it up as teachers first before PE, we are teachers and that gives us that link that you talked about in terms of similarity. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> OK, thanks, everybody. Um, same time next week. And that's where our discussions ended. I'd like to thank Ray, Greg and Cameron for their insights as teachers and pre-service teachers and Clancy and Michelle for lending their thoughts to our discussion. Thanks for listening, stay safe and hopefully you'll choose to catch up with us next time when we talk about the practice of teaching.